0: to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with former Minnesota Viking, Jeremiah Searles on a Tuesday morning left guard in which as we record, we don't know the starting quarterback just got off the Kevin O'Connell's press conference in which he said all three quarterbacks are being considered, which sounds to me like Jaron Hall. But again, by the time you listen to this, I might be wrong already. Let's just make the argument since we don't know yet for whichever quarterback you believe should start so who do you think should start against the Green Bay Packers Jeremiah
1: yeah I think it's got to be Jaron Hall you know I really do I think the sample size that you have from Josh Dobbs when he was here and when he was in Arizona and what from you have in um, Nick Mullins from San Francisco and wherever else he was and now here you kind of go, okay these guys the, the their spots are their spots they're not going to change right they are who they are So if we're trying to evaluate this roster and we're trying to evaluate what's going on, we only have one quarterback that we really don't know a whole lot about yet, right? And the great thing about that is no one else really does either, right? Green Bay doesn't know about him. Detroit doesn't know about him. Like, these teams are going to be kind of like, well, we saw him get – he's not very good at uh, not being concussed, but other than that, like, we don't know. So I think you have to give him a shot. You have to see what he's made of. And you have to evaluate this roster going forward of hey, we're gonna be in the market for quarterback next year or we're not, but we need to be in a better position with the backup quarterbacks that we have. And is Hall the guy or not?
0: I mean, when you look at the totality of both Josh Dobbs and Nick Mullins, what you get is bottom tier backup quarterback play, which means it's volatile. It can have its moments, but the more passes that the guy throws, the worse it generally gets. And with Mullins, what is the most concerning? I think is now I know this is a push the ball down the field type of offense. So you're trying to create explosive plays and it was built for a quarterback who has downfield and intermediate accuracy. So this is why you can't just snap your fingers and say, actually quick game actually we're going to move everything right to left like uh, Kyle Shanahan does or something like you can't just do that. Um, Nick Mullins did create a lot of big plays, but I think his explanation at the end of the game uh, for the play for the interception that lost the game really made me think, all right, it's fine to start Jaron Hall. He said that when he saw Jefferson coming across, he could either lead him or put it on him. And I was like, In what world do you have the arm to put it on him like and that was his choice like that was his thing like i'm gonna put it right on him like a dot like this dude in his brain has matthew stafford's arm but in reality he has nick mullen's arm and (laughs) there's just no way to scheme or block or receive For a football floating at 32 miles an hour, like a little kid at a carnival throwing the baseball and the, you know, the little, they try to guess their miles per hour or something like this is not an NFL arm. This is an XFL arm for a guy who's very bright. And and I think knows exactly where to throw with the football, which is how they ended up with so many yards. But I would rather see. Jaron Hall, who I think has an NFL arm and also evaluate for next year as well. If you like what you see, you've got a backup quarterback and somebody who could be in consideration or in the mix. Uh, I don't see him as a quarterback of the future, but with TJ Hawkinson out for the year, Jordan Addison Mm. banged up, DJ want out for the year. Makai Blackman banged up. I mean, we are at the point where winning back to back games with any quarterback is going to be really, really darn difficult. So I would much rather have an evaluation on a player. And also maybe he just plays it a little safer and doesn't heave the ball into nothingness like uh, Nick Mullins did. So yeah, I'm, I'm very cool right now. It was sort of like, let's see where it goes. Don't put the pressure on the kid to try to save the season, but now there is really no saving the season. So off you go.
1: Yeah, that's that's the biggest that's the biggest reason uh, why Hall should go too. Is even if we find a way to win these next two games, the, the Super Bowl is further away than it seemed all year, in my opinion. Right? There's always that sliver of hope, and we always talked about it last week. We weren't really contenders, but you know, you looked around at the pieces that we had. Could we get in the dance and be frisky and fun, and maybe win a playoff game? But you start losing Hawk and Addison's backed up, like the, it just gets further and further and further away. And if we feel it. I promise you the team feels it. These dudes are tired. They're beat up. Everyone at this time of year is absolutely smoked physically. And so then you lose a couple of your key playmakers and you're just kind of going to survival mode. But like, okay, I know I need to perform. I know I need to do well, but like, let's just get through the next two weeks fully unscathed. So I don't have to go into my off season with a surgery or anything like that. And that's a little bit where everyone in that building probably is right now, whether they'll admit it or not, because That's just how the human brain works. And that's how, as a player, you can see the writing on the wall. And so if you're saying, okay, that's where we're at now, you put your head coach's hat on, you put your GM hat on, how do we squeeze these last two games into getting what we need out of them? And that will depend on what they feel like they need. If I was the GM of the Vikings right now, I'd be saying, okay, this season was crazy, right? Wild up and down all these things. But to be productive for us in these last two games, we need to see XYZ player play. Right? Can he do it with the bright lights on? Can he do it against two talented teams that are still playing for a lot? And can he go out there and perform and be a guy that we can trust next year and a guy that can compete for either a depth spot or compete for a starting spot and all those things? That's how you get the most out of these last two games instead of just kind of being like, well, we're going to go out there and try and do our thing and, and run our offense. It's like, no, why? What's the point? Like, well, what, what is the point of doing that when you can be so much more productive in these last two games for the future?
0: Uh, And with uh, Jaron Hall, my observation about him, and of course he didn't really get a lot of opportunity to play, but just having been around since training camp and so forth, is that uh he is a rookie, but no longer a rookie at this point after this entire mm-hmm. season of practices and an opportunity to get into a real game. And the other thing is that he is a very calm, sort of even type of person that I don't think is going to be in over his head or into freak out mode when he has to play against the Packers on Sunday night football. And I'd rather see him have ups and downs in that game than have Nick Mullins win it. Maybe that's like going too far because everyone always Wants to beat the Packers. I understand that. No one's ever going to be happy with a loss to the Packers. But if you told me that Nick Mullins would go out, throw a couple picks, have a wild game, Jefferson would bail him out at the end and win, or I could have Jaron Hall have his ups and downs, get some experience, play well, maybe show some exciting parts of his game. I'd probably pick the Jaron Hall side just because you know he's going to be here as part of the future and you want to see what you've got with him. That I think that, I mean, it's a weird situation because if you win both, then you get in the playoffs like more likely than not like 95%. And and so that's where I'm sure in the coaching staff's room as they're having this discussion. They're like, but we did throw for like 400 yards, but. As Jameis Winston proved to us years ago, you can't be on pace to throw like 30 interceptions in a season uh, and uh, end up getting yourself to the playoffs. It's just way too much volatility there. And, you know, they need to run the football better. They need to screen better. They need to do all these other things. But I think at least Jaren Hall could be a little more safe with the football and not just launch it to the other team. And after seeing this, Josh Dobbs and Nick Mullins are not part of this team. At all in the future that that's over with. So why not play the guy uh, who is there? So we'll see um, by now, you know, by the time you listen to this, you might have a decision. But either way, it's very much a shrug. And I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, there are just some seasons in the NFL that just go down because of bad luck. And as we evaluate the coach and as we evaluate the general manager, it's really hard, I think, to just say, I don't know. It was a lot of bad luck. They were in games at the beginning of the year and a good team and they fumbled away or dropped away wins. So those are usually luck things. And then as they've gone along, it's just become a mash unit of players because they've had so many guys go down along the way. Even, you know, Marcus Davenport was supposed to be a big part of this. And he goes out last week. They're missing uh, Byron Murphy Jr. And they can't cover anybody. And then, you know, the quarterbacks, Jefferson, Jefferson comes back. They get three quarters of everybody and look how good they are at making Nick Mullins look like a real quarterback. And then two of them go down. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's just absurd. And I asked O'Connell about it and he basically said, yeah, I mean, there's nothing we could really do, but this is life in the NFL sometimes, but I think you can critique some things and you could say that this is a year that you can learn from, but it's very hard for me to say, wow, you guys botched this year when all of this stuff goes down.
1: Yeah, I I would. I mean, if anyone's saying that they botched this year, they really need to take a closer look at this because you can look at teams historically throughout the NFL that have had quote unquote bad luck that have just gone down the tank, right? It's just been done lights out immediate. And what gives me a lot of hope and why I really respect what KOC's done is every week we've come on this pod and thought said, Hey, we learned this about KOC this week, or we learned that and we praised him for this, or we criticized for him for that. But I think he took that in stride and he looked at it as like a player looks at it as like, okay, it's new week. How do I get better? What do I need to adjust with? What do I need to do better? And you saw the team buy into that too. And so for me, it's I don't think they botched anything at all. I thought we learned a ton about who KOC is as a person this year. How he hey can get a team to rally behind him. Hey, get to four and four, and like we'll get this thing going right. And everyone bought into that. You can see his coaching ability when the Dobbs situation in Atlanta, when he's in his ear and calling a game, and and then you saw the bad too of hey I put too much on Dobbs or hey some of my decision making, and all that comes down to just a young head coach. I mean he's only been a head coach for two years, right? I mean, that's really it. Like that's not a long time. When you start talking about some of the guys that have been around doing it forever, the Tomlins, the Pete Carroll's, the Bill Belichick's like, those dudes have been doing this for a long time. So when you're criticizing Bill Belichick or you're criticizing those guys and you're criticizing KOC, there is a bit of a sliding scale of how, how long they've been doing this, what they've been doing. And as far as what has been able to do, you know, he's put together a pretty damn good roster, right like that roster from top to bottom on offensively spe- specifically is really dang good and he has some really good young players in the mix on defense so you can't help it you can't help injuries it's it's definitely part of what the game is and it's all just the great equalizer in the NFL i mean look at last night the baltimores playing san francisco they get three three o linemen hurt and it's over ball game no one can do anything right it's hard to say well that's the coach's fault right you, you your stars are your stars for a reason your starters are your starters for a reason and there's always a drop off from starter to backup i don't care what position it is and i thought that KOC and Crews done a really nice job with that this year i've been encouraged by a lot of things i think there's obviously some things he needs to get cleaned up but overall as far as evaluating from where, from where i sit i think he's a really good head coach and i think the vikings are lucky to have him
0: You know, I remember, uh, in training camp, I asked a contributor to the podcast. Will raggets, uh, how many wins he thought the Vikings would have, or maybe we did the show right after the schedule came out and he said 11 and I was like, I don't know, man, that seems like a lot. And. I think they might've had 11 had they stayed healthy. Like they, they were right in that range. Um, if, you know, Kirk Cousins stays healthy, I'm not going to say they were going to win every single game after he got hurt. Cause we know the Kirk coaster is real, but 10 or 11 is not unrealistic. And if we look at it through that lens, and I know that's going into imagination land, it's not real. It's not what happened, but you know, right? In a competitive rebuild type of year, to have a 10 or 11 win roster that just got punched in the face over and over again with injuries, I think is a pretty good place to stand. Again, that doesn't mean everything is perfect. And thank you, everyone, for reminding me yesterday they could have drafted Kyle Hamilton. I, I didn't, I didn't remember that. <laughs> I didn't know. So thank you on Twitter for every person who said, "Did you know they could have drafted Kyle Hamilton?" I did, I did, I I was there. Um, but uh, <laughs> and for the coaching job, the most important thing to me is that the way that they've lost the games. You could go in and did he tush push or not tush push? We could do that or whatever. But to me, it's more of they have not had their doors blown off at all. Like with backup quarterbacks, with injured players all over the place. They have stayed in every single game to the point where we're actually unhappy with late game handling or whatever because they're never losing by a lot of points despite whatever happens. That's, to me, impressive and maybe frustrating at the same time because they should be in the playoffs. But uh, also, O'Connell has not lost his mind. And so far as I could tell, there is no signs of this dude melting, which is what happens a lot of times when teams struggle like this, and when they have injuries like this, there has not been fingers pointed. There hasn't been passive aggressive shots taken at the general manager or at the other coaches or whatever. And you don't have to look far to where that used to happen. I, I was joking with you before we went on that, you know, Mike Zimmer's press conference today would have had three or four people thrown under the bus by now. Um, and it would have been shorter. So I I evaluate it well, but also I was willing to be very patient with this whole operation this year because of the approach that they took and the way that they laid out the plan. But I also understand where people are, can be like, "Did this all just sounds like sort of excuses?" And I actually got called a homer the other day, which never happens to me. I'm like the last guy who gets that, but it, it happened. It happened. So I, I don't know. I'm like questioning myself. Like, wait, am I giving them too much leeway?
1: No. It, it, injuries are not excuses they're they're not and you're looking at it across the board every team that has a backup quarterback in that is a starter for a long time like the Bengals, right because their, their starter got hurt Gardner Minshew after anthony richardson like all of them are kind of in this similar world of like we don't know what's going to happen every single week because of the trigger man but we're going to coach our guys up the best we can and get everything we can out of the roster and I think a big piece why they haven't gotten blown out as much is because of Brian Flores, right? It, it's really easy to go off the rails. I mean, the amount of, the amount of turnovers that Nick Mullins had and Josh Dobbs has had down the stretch here, I mean, those games could have been 21-point leads in the blink of an eye if it wasn't for this defense stepping up the way they have. And so you talk about how you evaluate that. Well, that's a, obviously a tip to the hat to Brian Flores, but, you know, KOC is a part of that. Right, you you are involved on both sides of the football when you wear head ball coach, and I also think that goes to the fact of the fact that um, God I just said his name like four times. The defense coordinator, help me here, Brian please, Flores, wife. yeah, Brian Flores. The CTE is real today. Um, Brian right, Brian Flores. You know, while he has also been a head coach, right? Like, so you have two of those guys on on your staff here that are. Head coach Burker back and forth with each other. Like the staff that they've put together too has been fantastic. You know, I think there'll be some some probably there always is some turnover on staff as the years goes on and whatnot. But overall, like the core nucleus of the staff, like being a homer here, it's not a homer to just call out facts, right? It's a homer to sit there and give them excuses, like, well, you know, they should have done this or they should have done that. But like when you look at the true facts of what has happened to this team and the adversity that they've been over to overcome week in and week out. That doesn't just happen in the NFL by magic. That doesn't just like, oh, well, they just figured it out. Like that is coaches putting guys in the right spots. That is coaching, having guys ready during the week, preparing them. Like all that stuff doesn't just magically happen. That's because guys were really well prepared and ready to go.
0: Folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about prize picks this year. But if you've missed it, here's how it works. You go to prizepicks.com and it is simple. You pick either more or less between two and six players stat projections and that's it. Now you're playing. So if it's X number of yards for a quarterback, you just decide, are they going to throw for more or less than that number of yards? But it works with lots of different options, receiving yards, touchdowns, even field goals, all sorts of sports as well. prizepickscom purple. Go there, use the code purple for the first deposit match up to $100. One of the reasons I like Prizepicks: it is very simple to use. You'd see how we do it on the show real quick and easy. And then we talk about our picks and also not expensive either. You can turn $10 into 250 by nailing just a couple of picks. So go to prizepicks.com slash purple, the code purple daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah. I mean, it sort of reminded me of a lot of Steelers seasons where if the, you know, post Ben Roethlisberger or yeah. the year that yeah. he got hurt and they were down to someone named duck Hodges, who was playing quarterback for them, who I don't think is in the league anymore, even on a practice squad. And this year with Pittsburgh, they get a win the other night and it's Mason Rudolph coming off of the bench to win. And they could very well lose the next week because that's backup quarterbacks. But when Mike Tomlin coaches your team, you're always going to be in the mix. And then when you're actually great and get actual good quarterback play you should be in the mix for much much more Uh, there's a little side discussion I want to have with you before we circle back to the Packers and this game and how we're viewing it and everything else but you know on Christmas day Lamar Jackson did some really Lamar Jackson-y stuff and man is it fun to watch and hey did you know the Vikings could have drafted Lamar Jackson is it didn't yeah I didn't know that I yeah. thanked
1: Twitter people for letting us all remind us of that
0: okay but there is something that we should bring up that maybe is less talked about than Mike Hughes or Kyle Hamilton or whatever other Mike uh, Michael Thomas they, there's lots of players throughout history the Vikings could have drafted uh, okay so but um, Lamar Jackson was very briefly rumored to be uh, uh, part of some intrigue from the Vikings. Now, Adam Schefter said on Twitter yesterday that no team actually reached out to the Baltimore Ravens when, if you recall, Lamar's pool boy was calling teams, asking about trades or whatever. I forget how this went, but he was saying he didn't want to be there. And then there was the whole deal where you'd have to give up first round picks, but there was maybe an opportunity to design a contract that they wouldn't have wanted to match. That Now, putting those two things together Of course, collusion is a word that comes to mind. But should we be actually unhappy with the Vikings for not doing that? I mean, every team should be unhappy, especially the Falcons, where they decided to roll out Desmond Ritter. But I did think of that yesterday. Like, you know, the Vikings weren't one of those weirdo teams that was, like, proud of not going after Lamar Jackson like Atlanta was. But to not even check – I guess that's just bigger than them, right? It's like Colin Kaepernick would have been a better quarterback for the Vikings this year than Nick Mullins, but that's just bigger than them. And maybe they viewed this the same way. Like this is just bigger. The owners decided they couldn't let these contracts get out of hand and the Vikings were not going to step out of line with that. But imagine if he's the quarterback of this team.
1: I think the hardest, the hardest thing with Lamar Jackson, is when you watch the Ravens, that whole system is built around him. I... (laughs) I might get some shit for saying this. I don't believe that Lamar Jackson is a plug-and-play quarterback on all 32 teams. I don't. I I think that he is a system quarterback in which you have to have the system in which he operates in, which is that run-first system and all of that. Like, I don't know if you drop him into a KOC system if he's the Lamar Jackson we're used to seeing. And I think that's the biggest fear that happens with these big quarterbacks that are... I don't want, he's not one dimensional. I I can't think of how I want to say this. He is built Ravens built that offense for Lamar Jackson. And so he operates it at an extremely high level, right? Like he knows the ins and outs. He knows how to do it. And then he creates and all those receivers know how to create with him. When everything breaks down, you plug and play him in and you pay him the kind of money that he was going to need the fears that he can't come in and operate your offense that way. And Right, wrong, or indifferent. I mean, maybe he can. Maybe he could walk in and be like, "KOC, it's on. We got this." But you, you have money in Kirk, and you have kind of a sure thing in Kirk for one more year. You can freak yourself out by saying, "I don't know if I can go pay this dude this much money and all this stuff." And you can look at all the bad and the negatives and the what if world instead of looking at the he could be the guy, right? He could come in here and be the guy, the linchpin, everything we need. It's just so hard to do with those veteran quarterbacks that are getting ready to make that life-changing, career-altering money because you then tie yourself to them as an organization, as a staff, your job. You put everything on the line when you go get a guy like that. And I think that guys got too nervous because of his injury history. Guys got too nervous because they didn't know maybe he was getting to the point where, you know, he can't sustain that running style anymore because of his injuries. Like, all those things came into play. But, yeah, we shouldn't be mad, but I understand why we didn't
0: think those are all reasonable justifications, except for the fact that they were just trying to keep the quarterback dollars down. I mean, because it look, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging with Lamar Jackson, trying to adjust to the system or whatever. Hey, look, if you can't figure out something for that football player to succeed, then you stink at coaching. And that's how I would look at it. I mean, if you're giving him, their receivers are okay. The Vikings receivers are way better. I mean, Justin Jefferson is way better than anything they have. T.J. Hawkinson, well, they have Mark Andrews, but he's been out. So Hawkinson, Addison, in the way that he developed the offensive line for the Vikings has been very, very good this year as far as pass protection. I mean, you are competing for a Super Bowl, especially in the NFC if Lamar Jackson's your quarterback. I understand all those things about the injuries. He had been banged up before. He had had some trouble with Greg Roman in the, you know, a couple of years following his MVP season. All that I get. But I don't think that that's why nobody tried to trade for him. I think it really comes down to he wanted outrageous money from anybody else that was going to sign him from the outside, and you had to give up the draft picks. And teams just said, "No, we don't want every quarterback coming back to us asking for the Deshaun Watson contract." The Browns screw that up. We're going to rein that in, and they did with Daniel Jones and with Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. They kind of rein those quarterback contracts in, which makes it possible that the Vikings could extend Kirk um, kind of because of that. I think that's what it was all about. And I guess I understand that the Vikings were in line there. But if you recall, you could have traded Cousins and created a huge amount of cap space um, via trade, the way that his contract was set up. Mm -hmm. If you had traded him to the Falcons and made the trade for Lamar Jackson, I'm not saying it could have happened. Because the the Ravens probably are like, OK, we'll just, you know, thanks for screwing us over and we'll just get, you know, give him the, the contract match. It's just that, like, to not even call, to not even check and just roll this thing back out again. I don't know. I would have thought it was a pretty good idea to have Lamar Jackson as the franchise quarterback for the next whatever number of years.
1: Did anyone see this year coming for him, though? Right. Like, I mean, since his MVP, you did, did, oh, did you absolutely. see this year for him coming? Yes. hundred percent. I don't know. Maybe, maybe 100%. I did you know, since his MVP season, he's been banged up. Like I did not see him having a resurgence of a year like he did this year personally. And you know, I just didn't see it. And that's why I kind of, I was like, well, I get why he's trying to do what he's doing. Maybe he's trying to see like, Hey, I got a few years left here because of my injuries whatnot, not. But the way that he's come out and played and bounced back this year, you can't speak credit to him enough because it's really fun to watch. And I can't imagine how infuriating it is to be a pass rusher trying to catch him. And I mean, Joey, not Joey, Nick Bosa yesterday looked like he just wanted to rip his hair out. Like he's just like he has him right there, like in his arms. And he's just like sidestep, swivel, spin. It's like, uh, where'd he go? Like, gosh, he's fun. He's just so hard to get on the ground.
0: If if you go back to that day or two where the Vikings were in the rumors, I was very strongly advocating for Lamar mm. Jackson. I just, I mean, I just believe in his talent, as you could see. And I understand the injuries, but there's really like quarterbacks get hurt. Lots of quarterbacks get yeah. hurt. Yeah, Kirk's a pocket quarterback. He gets hurt. Lamar's a running quarterback. He gets hurt. I don't know. You know, so that I I wouldn't worry. too much. That's about why that. you
1: love Daniels so much. That's why, that's why you're such the big Daniels guy. You think you just, you see the next Lamar.
0: Well, I, I look at, pocket quarterbacks. And even Brock Purdy is part of this, even though he's got a little scoot to him, but I look at pocket quarterbacks. Jared Goff is another example. And I just think there, if you're not Brady and you're not breeze, there are limitations there. And there are even limitations in that game. Jared Goff had two or three opportunities that if he's fast, that dude's getting 20 yards running. They were just dropping everybody back and saying like, you won't run. And of course, he can, and he can't throw on the move and he can't make plays. I watch Lamar. I mean, look, honestly, Patrick Mahomes was a good argument for the mobile quarterback yesterday because Mm -hmm. he should have thrown for about eight yards the way that their team played and yet found ways and found ways. And in the super bowl, they were in a tough position and he breaks off a 30 yard run to put them in, in a spot to win that game. And it's just like, this is the world we live in now i think at the quarterback position and lamar is like at the very very top of that list for guys who can throw the ball well but also are are great playmakers so i don't know i i think you could be i think you'd be a little teed that they didn't even try that they didn't even like to send a text lamar question mark like anything like what do you you know uh so okay they didn't do it and now we're on to the discussion of trying to draft the fourth quarterback in the draft or whatever. Uh, let's circle back though. Cause I'll just talk about this all day. If you let me to this game against the Packers, how are you feeling about the Packers mm. right now?
1: I was really excited about them about two weeks ago. You know, I thought Jordan love had turned a corner. I thought they were getting things figured out. They kind of were getting a run here, but as things happen with quarterbacks that aren't superstars, I feel like this is a winnable game, as weird as that is to say, because the Packers are maybe the most inconsistent team besides maybe the Dallas Cowboys, the most inconsistent team in the NFL. Sometimes they look lights out sometimes they look like a defense that's smothering getting after the packer or getting after the passer gary has three four sacks in a game kenny clark's all over the place and then other times it looks like they can't stop anyone they can't stop anybody they just run up and down the field on them so i don't know i feel good about this game i think it's gonna be a really good i think it's gonna be a very competitive game but i have very little faith in the packers right now
0: that's the wild thing is suddenly their offense save for the game against the giants but for the most part, over the bigger sample of the last six weeks or so, their offense has been good. And Jordan Love has found some chemistry with these receivers. I think that they've worked on things that are good for him. And Aaron Jones being back in the mix makes them a really pretty dangerous offense. And they can hit downfield. The Vikings have had a little bit of a problem when anyone asks for a contested catch or to break up a contested catch. They're not so good at that. And so you could see Jordan love going off against this broken defense that now is down to, I don't even know is Andre Carter starting at defensive end uh, outside linebacker. It's a a pretty rough spot as far as the defensive line goes. Harrison Phillips is banged up. Uh, He was, you know, gutting it out the other day. So you could see that the issue is the other team will probably have the ball for 35 minutes. And the Vikings were just on the field for, I think 77 plays and that's usually what happens if you go to overtime as you're on the field mm-hmm. for 77 plays. So they just played like an overtime caliber game and then have to come back and play a very physical defensive line as bad as Joe Barry is. I, this is going to be hard. I think you know just for their for everybody right like for, for their defense especially to just get them off the field and then offensively you like you said you have beasts out there who could pressure the quarterback they actually did pressure Kirk quite a bit in that game against the Packers on paper they should why is it that I just don't trust them at all though i mean like they just they just played a barn burner with the Carolina Panthers so yes i think they could and we could be talking about going to detroit with Jared Hall, a quarterback or who, I don't even know who a quarterback, Todd Bauman, something like just somebody is playing quarterback, CJ ham and talk, you know, talking about maybe playing their backups, like Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, wouldn't that yeah. be something uh, the there, there is on paper. I think that the Packers should be much better because they're much healthier. They've got their quarterback and everybody else. But I don't I just don't believe in them at all as a team that can show up and and be the best version of themselves.
1: Yeah. And it's just because they've earned that. They've earned that week in and week out of not being consistent. Right. But to be fair, the only team that's really been consistent all year is Baltimore. Like right? Everyone else has kind of been this up and down. And especially when it's so funny to me to watch the in the hunt type of to like players, be, that those teams, because it's just like a revolving door week in and week out of like, well, who pooped the bed this week? Oh, you beat a 500 team. You can get up there. Like, oh, they all lost, so they're all still in the hunt, right? It's just when you look at the Packers and they know that they're still, quote, unquote, in the hunt, the Vikings are still in the hunt. Like, these games mean something, and it just really comes down to the mistakes being made in those, and the Packers have historically made a lot of mistakes, but so have the Vikings. And, you know, I don't know if you can say you trust either one of these teams, right? If we were a Packers podcast doing Tuesday morning left guard out in Lambeau, we'd be saying the same thing about the Vikings, right? Like they've got some playmakers, they've got some dudes, but like, we just don't trust them. We don't trust them to not turn the ball over. We don't trust them to take care of the football or to go create something on special teams. Like it's pretty two teams that you look and go, I don't know, flip a coin and see who throws the first pick, right? That's the kind of feeling that I have watching this game because no one's earned the the right to say we are the better team in this matchup.
0: One thing I do wonder about is, like, remember last year when they had gone through all those emotional games at the end, they went down mm. to Lambeau and just got blown out. <laughs> Smoked it does happen where you just go through so much. And O'Connell was even talking about this today with DJ Wanham. And he felt like the air came out of the defense when Wanham got hurt because he's been a player who emerged, took on a big role, like handled it. I think he's sort of a favorite of everybody on the defensive side. He goes down and with Hawkinson out, like that's the outlet for whatever quarterback uh, has been able to go in. There's always to have TJ Hawkinson. And now it's Johnny Munt. Like that's a, big fall off from the literal best receiver in the league at tight end, but by catches targets to Johnny Munt who is like a number three tight end on any team. That's that's a big drop. So I, I think I do wonder about the emotional, like the, pa- the Packers mm. have this, hey, we've turned it around the second half and we're going to like fight to the end here and we can make the playoffs where I wonder if the Vikings have just taken too many hits along the way, which leads to uh, my last Vikings related question for you, which is what if they make it? What if they don't? I want you to tell me, I want you to imagine in your brain, Okay, th- yeah, think, meditate, Oh, meditate. Okay, imagine that they pull it off and they win these two games. Now, imagine on the other half of your brain if they lose both of these games and tell me about your imaginary emotions.
1: I think if they lose, if they lose both these games, how they lost them with the players that they put in will matter to me more than the win-loss column. If we play Nick Mullins, And we go the next two games with it's his show and we lose. I don't love that. I don't feel good about that because you knew what that was going to be. And you're like, man, why did we even do that? What was the point of that? Like, did we really think he gave us the best chance? Like, were we really trying to chase just squeaking in? But if we put Jaron Hall in. And maybe we see some young players get in there. We see Ty Chandler get a bigger, continuing to get a bigger role, right? And we see some guys step up in a big way. Jamie John and Munt's going to have some big games or whoever, no Brandon Powell starts saying like, okay, Addison's out. I got to be this number two guy. I got to step it up. And he has a big game and we still lose, but we're seeing progress from some of those guys. I'm good with it. I'm good with that because that is getting, that is being productive with the opportunities that you have as a staff with these final two games. Now, put it on the flip side. We go win these two games with Nick Mullins, and we somehow go out and we win. It still's not like I'm not exuberating confidence, like "Ooh, we made it! We're gonna go win the Super Bowl, right?" Like it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I, I still don't know what we established unless everything I said with Jaron Hall, quarterback, everything else happened, right? Powell did really well, and all these other guys stepped up, and we won these games with Nick Mullins, like great, that's fantastic. But if we go these two games with Nick Mullins and lose, that's where I'm gonna really have an issue. Um, I also would love to see some of who the young guys on defense are going to step up, like who's going to step up in that realm. Maybe a pass rusher gets a, a nice game like, like Andre Carter. Maybe he has a, go, has a nice couple sacks or whatever it is. you know. But just continuing to watch those guys emerge and develop and then also just to watch the effort, the effort level of this team as far as, like you said, the hits that they've taken on the chin over and over again. Can they weather the storm for two more weeks? Right. Can you weather it? Can you just keep coming to fight, Or is it just the, the ship is sank? there's too many holes to plug anymore. Everything's going down like that. That's another big piece of how we lose these games is the fight and the effort in which we put forth.
0: I, yeah, I agree with that, and I think if they win both games with Jaron Hall, then you're like, oh, this is kind of like interesting going into the playoffs because that will mean he will have played well. Since I think that both of these offenses can score against the Vikings, so, like if you get in shootouts and win with Jaron Hall, then I'm then you you got me roped in for sure. And if they make the playoffs, there is no way. And I know I am Mr. Draft Status. Like that, this is just <laughs> like I have the draft list just. On my chest and I just ready. move around like, you know, I get different tattoos for where they are for throughout the season. I don't even know how that works. The point is that it it's like that matters a lot to me where they're going to draft. We've talked about it all season long. And do I have to say it if they had just tanked after? No, no, no. I won't say it. I won't. I won't go all the way there. I already did the Lamar Jackson thing, so we won't go down that road, but If they make the playoffs at nine and eight, I will be amazed. I just, like, considering all that you went through, I'm just going to go, hey, you deserve all your credit. The players do, the coaches do, everything else to fight their way through this and be at this point will be absolutely amazing, no matter who is playing quarterback, even if it's Nick Mullins. And if they lose both games, I will start watching quarterback tape, (laughs) college quarterback tape, because they have a chance at a pretty high draft pick. Either one of those outcomes are pretty good. The worst outcome is that you win one out of two, you hurt your draft stock, and you don't make the playoffs anyway, and you end up with that situation we talked about, like at the beginning of the season, is they're going to go eight, nine, and then draft sixteenth or whatever. So yeah, the the range of outcomes here is is very wide. Uh, what do you uh, what do you got for love to see it, hate to see it?
1: My love to see it is the Baltimore Ravens. I thought going into this game, this could have been a Super Bowl preview. I think it still very well could be. But what I loved is that they rose to the occasion. And I was talking to my buddy about this today. The reason I was so impressed with that win is because so many times you see good teams like allow another good team or a great team that gives them mistakes to hang around. Baltimore made sure when the Niners made a mistake, they made them pay. Right. They made them pay. They went and scored. They took advantage of the turnovers. And for me, that's the sign of a mature team that's going to go a long way. And I just love to see the fact that also I think the stat is what Lamar's lost to the NFC like once or something crazy like that. Like he's just crazy against the NFC. But I just love watching that team play. I love what Harbaugh's done with that defense. You know, getting Roquan and Queen and Hamilton. The guy, did you know he should? He could have played for the Vikings. I don't Really? Okay. In one um, draft. In a draft? They could have picked in him? a draft. Yeah, They could have taken him along with I don't know about that. 20 other teams. Mm. Um, but you know, I just I love watching them play football. I love watching them go. And you know, the fact that Mitchell got hurt last week, they didn't skip a beat at the running back. J.K. Dobbins hasn't been there all year. Just the Gus Bus and Hill show going rolling forward. So love to see it. Love to see the Ravens. They're gonna go a long way in the AFC.
0: I love to see a really, really smart organization get rewarded in Baltimore um, because they have just made a lot of really wise moves over the last, I mean, we're talking over the last 10 years, Um, but just, and okay, so they lucked out that the rest of the owners colluded to make sure that they got Lamar at his price, but they've built an offensive line They went out and made some really nice moves at wide receiver to get Odell Beckham to draft Zay Flowers when people said he was too short. And then the way they've put together that defense, they also moved on from Wink Martindale a couple of years ago and hired a new defensive coordinator that's really worked out well for them. But they just make savvy little moves like Jadavian Clowney. If the guy feels good about his life, he's fricking unstoppable and he feels good. So there you go. Drafting Kyle Hamilton was another very smart move. I know, I think the Vikings maybe could have picked him, but he, he like got, he dropped because of a 40 time. It's like, did you watch this gentleman play football? I, I mean, that, that was one of those silly overthink it at the draft time type of things, but here's the Ravens being like, uh yeah, production is way more important. I do want to throw in a quick hate to see it from that game though. The referee making a heck of a tackle in the end zone. No one could tackle Lamar Jackson unless the referee throws his carcass in front of him in the end zone. And then it ends up being an intentional grounding. And Safety. look, I know the rule, everybody. I know the rule. I know that they're part of the field. One of them tackled cam Bynum last year, <laughs> but how do you call intentional grounding when you tackled them? So I, I, I don't know. Refs are having a tough year. And I thought there's the definition of the year that the refs are having is uh taking down Lamar Jackson in the end zone and giving points to the 49ers. <laughs> mm,
1: mm, mm, mm. Can I do another love to see it real quick? Oh, absolutely. I love to see the unraveling in Kansas city. I, I it, being in Lincoln, being here in the Midwest, it's it's insufferable hearing about the the Kansas City the Kansas City Chiefs and just their fandom and how great they are and all these people I've known for years that weren't Kansas City fans until Patrick Mahomes got there and now they're just diehards painted on the chest right and to watch the uh, the slow unravel that's happening between Mahomes and Kelsey Andy Reid's chest bumping Travis Kelsey and just. Everything just slowly unraveling for them, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to go on the road for the first time in the playoffs ever, right?" Like, and just hearing everything about it, I just love it. I love it. I love it watching it. I love what's going on because the Golden Horseshoe was bound to fall out of Mahomes' ass at one point, and it finally has. And now we're kind of getting to enjoy it for a little bit because I don't think we'll get to enjoy it for long. I think they'll be right back where they need to be when you have Mahomes as your quarterback. So I'm just, I'm just reveling in that a little bit this year.
0: I have two related uh hate to see it's uh one is I hate to see uh, front office arrogance. I hate to see we don't need DeAndre Hopkins. We'll just draft a guy. We'll do we'll be fine. We don't need even Adam Thielen. What does Adam Thielen do for the Kansas City Chiefs? Dude can get open, dude can make plays, but not getting DeAndre Hopkins. And here he's got a thousand yards or something in Tennessee with two different quarterbacks and is playing great. Them being like, nah, our quarterback is so good. We could just draft bad receivers, throw them out there, do whatever we want. He'll just run around and throw to whoever. And that is not how football works. And the same thing goes for the offensive line. Uh, we don't need to pay this guy. We'll just bring in some other guy who doesn't know how to line up right or whatever. It's just like they thought that they could in a similar way, actually, to the Vikings uh, 2020, where they were like, uh, oh, you know, who cares if Xavier Rhodes goes and these other guys we will just throw in another guy and develop him Cause we're that good. No, you're not. You're not. No one is better than the players. No one is better than the roster. Like there's no scheme. There's no one quarterback who can scoot around and do whatever and make it better than the totality of, of the roster. And the other uh, hate to see it I had was the MVP discussion. I mm. don't want to hear the words MVP ever again. Every play was like, Oh, here's a tipped interception where Brock Purdy's arm was hit by a great play by the Ravens. Number one defense. Oh my God. I told you Purdy was terrible. Good for you. <laughs> Congratulations. He might not win the MVP now. And then it's like Lamar's better than his stats. Don't you see? And you're like, I don't care about that either. Maybe just give it to Tyreek Hill. I don't care if there's anybody more valuable than him. I don't know Christian. who it is. It's so, Christian
1: McCaffrey. He could be that Christian too. McCaffrey. I, I, it, I'm so tired of it always being a quarterback. It
0: doesn't have to be a quarterback.
1: Give it to give it to someone else that's having a great year. It's like the Heisman, right? Like, best quarterback. Like, no, no, just give it to the best player. Best player in Chris McCaffrey. I'll leave it at that. Best player in the
0: NFL. Totally fine. I just don't want to hear about the MVP debate anymore. Where's Peyton Manning to just run away with it for me so I don't have <laughs> to hear about it? Uh, anyway, so we'll see what happens with, uh, you know, everything. And we could be in very different spots. Just one week from now, talking about being one win away from the playoffs somehow or talking about the 38 point loss that that Jared (laughs) Hall had or something and uh, what that means for the future. So that's why we get on this ride each week. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, great stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you later.
1: See you next week.